Uh, well, good morning. It is good to be here with you all. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan. I am the campus pastor here. And uh, I, I have to just start off celebrating just a little bit of, of what we got to witness here uh, with, with Justin being commissioned and, and the elders here at Central, uh, four new elders. This, this has been something we have uh, been praying for as a pastoral staff uh, for some time now, for, for almost uh, probably over a year. We have been praying that God would be raising up elders uh, in our church to take this step forward, begin to, to use their gifts and leading in this specific way. And so, uh, it's an incredible thing uh, to see God's faithfulness in four new elders uh, joining, and, and in particular, Justin, uh, as, as he is joining uh, with us. If, if you don't know, Justin has been serving here at Promontory since we began. Uh, he has been leading our setup teams, I think almost for probably over four years at this point, uh, making sure everything that you see here is actually set up and organized and putting together all of the teams on top of serving on our worship team that you've just seen, on top of preaching. Uh, and so he has given just, just countless hours to this church, and I'm so grateful uh, for the calling on his life, um, but also, uh, yeah, just, just his commitment to Jesus Christ and, and to continue to serve in this way. So I would encourage you, be praying for them, uh, for Justin and Justine, as uh, throughout this next week especially, but going forward just as they take on this new role. Uh, it's an amazing thing. So uh, it's, it's very exciting and uh, uh, it's, a good, it's a good Sunday to be able to celebrate, uh, especially as today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, this morning is Pentecost, and, and you might be thinking to yourself, uh, why in a Mennonite church are we going to celebrate Pentecost? Now, some of you are wondering that. Others of you are wondering what Pentecost is. And now there's probably a third group of you wondering what a Mennonite is. And so let me start by clearing up some of the confusion I've just created, all right? So yes, we, we are actually a Mennonite church. That's both our cultural background, but also our church denomination. And in general, Mennonites have not been great at celebrating or even remembering Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday is, is the day when, when God sent the, the Holy Spirit to, to dwell in His church. In Acts chapter 2, we read of this story when, when the Holy Spirit comes on these believers in this upper room, and they begin to do just incredible things. They're, they're speaking in different languages. There's, there's tongues of fire over their, over their heads, and Peter goes out, he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are all coming to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Right? It's an incredible moment, and, and, and it's well worthy of remembrance just on, on that, but it's also, it's also the birth of the church. This is when the church, as we know it, on Pentecost Sunday, really began right? It, the church is not just sort of a, a gathering of people. It wasn't just because, hey, this was the first time we got a huge group all together. Well, well no, that, that's not what makes a church. It's not even, and I'm going to be very careful on this one, it's not even just a group of people who want to follow Jesus together, right? Yeah, now we're getting a lot closer to what really makes a church, but it's God's presence among us that actually unites and defines what it means to gather as the church. And so Pentecost Sunday is, is the, the birthday of the church. It is, is the first time the church as we know it finally came together. And on that Pentecost Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, 
Peter preached a, a message uh, from the book of Joel. Joel is one of the Old Testament prophets, and, and he basically said to, to everyone who was watching everything that the prophet Joel had been talking about had now come true. And so this morning, as, as we want to, to remember and celebrate Pentecost Sunday, I I want us to go back to, well, the same passage that the Apostle Peter preached from, and that is Joel chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open. Uh, Joel chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, reading from this morning. We're going to start in verse 28, near near the end of the chapter. Um, Joel is uh, one of the minor Old Testament prophets. They're not minor because they don't have important things to say. They're minor in the fact that they're short. All right, so we gather them all at the near the end of our Old Testament. And so if you have your Bibles with you and you're going to follow along, please, uh, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Chapter 2, starting in verse 28, this is the Word of God. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the, uh, to turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This is the passage Peter chooses to preach on Pentecost Sunday, and it's because, as we said, he he really looked at everything that happened with with the Holy Spirit being poured out on that day and all the incredible things that were taking place. Peter says, but this is exactly what the prophet Joel expected and told us was going to happen. And so what I want us to do is actually take some time and and look, first of all, in, in the book of Joel. And actually understand what is Joel saying is going to happen? How does he describe the coming of the Holy Spirit? Because Peter clearly sees Pentecost as the fulfillment of this prophecy. So what is being talked about? Right? What is this promise of the Holy Spirit? Then I want us to look at how does the Holy Spirit actually come? And finally, what is the blessing that the Holy Spirit brings to us? See, the Holy Spirit is given to all those who trust in Jesus to enable us to follow Jesus and to empower us to serve Him. And so we're going to start off with looking at what this promise of the Holy Spirit actually is. And and before we can really begin to unpack uh, this prophecy, we have to just kind of familiarize ourselves with the book of Joel. We've just jumped into, uh, you know, halfway through a book in a book I'm going to guess most of us are not particularly familiar with, right? I don't know. Maybe some of you are very familiar with the book of Joel. I'm going to assume most of us aren't. All right, so Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament. He, he served at a time when the kingdom of Israel had been divided. They were fractured into sort of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? The southern kingdom was known as Judah, and they had done so because, well, kings had begun to, to fight amongst themselves, and all manner of sin had entered into their nation, 
And, and Judah was, by and large, the, the, the nation that was doing much better, but they still had a lot of problems going on. Right? Judah was wrestling with all kinds of idolatry that would happen. People were worshiping these idols and ignoring what God actually called them to do. The temple would, would fall into disrepair. They would oppress the poor. There was murder and, and bloodshed commonly in this nation. And so God sends the prophet Joel, like, like many of the other prophets, to go and warn his people, to warn his people what would happen if they continued in this. If they continue on ignoring what God has called them to do and, and ignoring what they had themselves have said they will do, God says, actually, that there is going to be a consequence. See, in many ways, this is uh, the nation of Judah somewhat as a, as a teenager, right? They're, they're starting to rebel against God a little bit, but all at the same time, they don't realize they are relying on his protection and his blessing, Judah is a tiny nation right next to giant superpowers of the day. And the only reason that they could continue to exist was because God was protecting them. God was blessing them and allowing them to remain. And God's warning to them is, if you continue to rebel, I will actually allow these nations to come and wipe you out. If you're familiar with the, the story of the Old Testament, you know eventually this is what happens. The nation of Assyria wipes out the northern kingdom, and the nation of Babylon comes and wipes out the nation of Judah, carries them off into exile. We know that's, that's where the story is going. The people don't actually listen to the prophet Joel, but, but Joel's message is not simply one of condemnation. It's not just God is going to punish you for all the, the horrific things that you are doing. Actually, Joel's message is very different. He is going to warn them, but it's going to come with incredible hope. If you look back at uh, verse 12 in chapter 2, it's one of those beautiful messages in the book. It says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Return to me. Turn back, God says, and I will forgive you, right? I, I am longing to forgive these people despite the fact that they are caught up in all manner of sin and running away from God and rebelling against him. God stands there as a parent saying, I am longing to welcome you back. And before we even go on, I, I know this is written to Old Testament Israel, but it's the same God who speaks to us and says, return to me. I, I, God knows the sin that we get caught up in and distracted so much, and yet it's the same God, the same message, return to me, turn back, repent, and you will know his abounding steadfast love. So in the, in the middle of this warning that Joel has for the people of Judah, he's, not, he's going to actually point out God is not ultimately looking at throwing you away forever. In fact, he begins to then talk about the salvation that God will work. Joel perhaps knows already that, that the people are not going to listen, that God's warnings are going to come true, but he tells them of a future day where God will actually save these people out of that judgment. And in one sense, the prophecy could stop right there. 
right? There's a judgment coming against your sin, but don't worry. God is going to be gracious and merciful to you. He will bring you back into the land. In fact, that's what happens. But Joel's actually going to look one step further. He's going to say, but wait, there's more. In in one sense, I, I almost wanted to title this sermon, but wait, there's more, because that seems to be what happens again and again and again in this passage. This comes, well, if you look at verse 28, it starts off by saying, and it shall come to pass afterwards. After, after what? Joel is saying that this prophecy that he's about to give is what God is going to do after he saves his people, after he works this grand redemption and salvation. After that, there is still more. It's not that God is going to save his people and then say, all right, I'm done, right? Work it out yourselves. No, actually, God has more. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Right Here's the promise that God is making to his people is that after this, this grand redemption, after this grand salvation comes, he is going to pour out his spirit on everyone. And for us, that might not sound very significant to us, but for Joel's original audience, they would have been shocked by that kind of language. See, in the Old Testament, not everyone experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, right? Now, here's where we get to sometimes a little bit confused as to what the role of the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. Sometimes we, we think, well, the Holy Spirit didn't do anything. Well, well that's, it. that's not true. We're introduced to the Holy Spirit right away, right in the beginning. Verse 2 of the Bible, the Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. The Spirit is active in God's creation from the very beginning. But there is a significant difference to how the Holy Spirit acts in the Old Testament and how he will act after the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was was, uh, working in people's lives to help them actually follow after God's laws, But very, very rarely would people actually experience sort of the the full power of what God is doing through them. In fact, it was very select people would actually experience that. Moses is a great example of this, right? Moses is someone who does these incredible miracles leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery and into the promised land, right? He was one of these very select people who was given this gift this extra measure of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit on him. And yet even him, he realized that one day, he was longing for a day when everyone would experience that. If you remember the story from Numbers chapter 11, uh, two men begin to prophesy in, in the camp. And people suddenly get all paranoid and they, they run to Moses and say, hey, should we stop them? Only you're allowed to prophesy, right? And Moses responds this way, Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. This was something Moses was longing for, but it was not the case. Not everyone experienced this full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And even even more than that, the Holy Spirit was given to very select people and sometimes for a very select period of time. Right? We see this when, when King David is, is ruling. If you remember the story, King Saul was the first king of Israel, but, but God would actually remove him from the throne and then install King David. 
This is what it writes, uh, this is what it says in 1 Samuel. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is, David, to be the new king in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. See, the Holy Spirit had empowered Saul to lead the people to be the king, but at this moment now, the Holy Spirit is actually being taken away from him and and placed onto David. See, not everyone in the Old Testament would experience this fullness of the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out on their lives. In fact, it was very limited on who received it and even for how long. And so for Joel to then come and say, but there is coming a day when everyone will experience the fullness of God's Spirit on them. This was a shocking statement. This is not just for the leaders of the people every once in a while. Verse 28, he says, it shall be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. There's two big points here that Joel is trying to make. The first is is what we've already seen. The Holy Spirit will be given to everyone, right? Right? To, to, to the young, to the old, to men, to women, to those of high standing and to those of low standing. The gift of the Holy Spirit will be spread equally to all people. But the second point that Joel here is making is that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Not, not given in, in small quantities, not, not measured out, you know, very specifically. You only get, get this, this much. No, it will be poured out in lavish measure. Right? The, the image is almost of, of taking a cup and putting it under a waterfall. Immediately, it's filled and overflowing. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out onto everyone. Right? If you've gone outside in the last couple of days when it's really raining and you stand out there for about 30 seconds and you are just soaked through, that's the idea. It is pouring out. This is what will be for every single believer It's not in small, measured portions, but God is going to lavishly pour out the Holy Spirit. And see, what Joel was prophesying about is what we experience today. He is describing how the Holy Spirit is given today. That it's not given out, that the Holy Spirit is not given out in some sort of small way. And sometimes people get all kinds of, of odd ideas about this in the church. That, that almost, you know, uh, you become a believer, and, and sure, you might have the Holy Spirit, but what you really need to do is, is mature. You've got to level up your, your spiritual game, and, and then you will really experience the Holy Spirit, right? If, if you're serious, if you pray long enough, and you give us your credit card details, you can have the Holy Spirit. No, that is not what's happening, This is no secondary level in the Christian church. No, actually, it is for everyone. The Holy Spirit is given in abundance. And sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, well, well, pastor, please please come and pray. Pray for me. And and hear me, I always want to pray for you. Yes, the answer is yes. But I don't want you to think that God only listens if I pray. I have the same Holy Spirit that you do. Same Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. We do not need to sort of think that, well, there are different levels or, 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 or 
attainments that we can get to. No, actually, God's Spirit has been given to everyone, and He is lavish in how He blesses us with the Holy Spirit. But that then leads us to the obvious question, well, well how, do we, how does the Holy Spirit actually come? How does the Holy Spirit actually come and indwell us? And Joel, again, actually tells us how that is going to happen. Verse 30, Joel says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. See, here Joel is describing what it'll be like when the coming of the Holy Spirit arrives. And you might be looking at that and thinking, is that what happened? Right? We think about Pentecost, and, and, and certainly we, we think of, well, the, yeah, there was fire, right? Tongues of fire were, were over their heads, but, but blood and, and columns of smoke, what exactly is Joel describing? Or, or was that not the case? And here's one of these, these few moments where actually our familiarity with the New Testament is actually tripping us up, right? Because we immediately jump to what happened on the day of Pentecost instead of recognizing what Joel is actually talking about. He's not asking us to look forward. He's actually asking us to look backwards. They would have recognized exactly what Joel was referencing in this moment with blood and fire and columns of smoke, every single Israelite would have immediately realized he's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about Passover, right? When, when God used, you know, Moses and, and used uh, Moses to deliver these, these plagues on Egypt in order to redeem his people, the final plague that came onto Egypt was the death of the firstborn son, and God said to Moses, here's what you are to do. Take a Passover lamb a sacrifice that will stand in your place. Put the blood over the lintels of your, uh, of your doorposts, and this plague of death will pass over you. And when that happens, God then leads his people out of Egypt with a pillar of fire by night and a column of smoke by day. He leads them out through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and ultimately into the promised land. See, what Joel is describing is not, you know, a, a description of all the things that will happen on Pentecost Sunday. He's describing the kind of redemption that God is about to work. This will be the greater exodus. This will be the greater redemption, not out of slavery in Egypt, but out of slavery to sin. God is going to lead you out again. He shall walk before you and be your guide. And so he continues in verse 31, he says, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Again, this is not a reference forward to what, what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. He, he's actually referencing back just to this chapter. Back in verse 10, uh, Joel is talking about the sun darkening and the moon darkening on this day of the Lord that is coming. And, and here in, in verse, 30, uh, verse 31, he describes it as the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, that's what the ESV translates it as. Depending on how you, uh, or what translation of the Bible you have, it's going to say some, it may say something different. ESV says great and awesome. Actually, the uh, NIV, for instance, will say great and terrifying. 
And you might say, well, those are very different words, aren't they? Awesome and terrifying. I, I rarely use both of those to describe one day, right? It's an awesome day. It's a terrifying day. Hardly are they both together. But that is actually what Joel is trying to get us to understand. He's using this word that, that actually genuinely encompasses both of those. It is full of awe and reverence and wonder, but also is a terrifying thing because the day of the Lord that Joel talks about is the day when God is going to deal with sin. It's when God will finally and ultimately deal with sin, where sin will be judged. And so it is both a day that is wonderful because it is the day when God's great salvation will come, but it's also the day when God will bring down judgment against our sins. See, again, Joel is describing what it's going to be like when the coming of the Holy Spirit is here. So how do we put these two verses together? Well, there's going to be a day when God will work a great salvation, and yet it will come when, the, when sin is going to be dealt with on the earth. So how is it that some will be saved? Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among whom the survivors, uh, there shall be those whom the Lord calls. Joel here is layering on two different uh, moments of salvation. Right? He's talking about when God will redeem the people out of exile from Babylon, but he's using that as really sort of the stepping stone to talk about the greater salvation that God is going to do, and that is in the forgiveness of our sins. See, the good news that Joel preached long before Jesus even entered the scene was that the only way of being saved from God's judgment for our sins was to trust in the name of God, to cling on to him for mercy and forgiveness. And the good news is that God forgives and saves those who trust in him. And so I'm sure the Old Testament saints were wondering, but how is it possible that God can forgive us of these sins? And then comes Jesus the greater Passover lamb who dies in our place. Through his death, he takes the punishment for our sins. It doesn't fall on us. It has gone onto Jesus, and we are given his perfect record of righteousness. Jesus is the reason why God can forgive, why the day of the Lord, when, when our sins are dealt with, can be a day of rejoicing and salvation. It's because for everyone who trusts in him, everyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. That our sins are dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's where we need to realize that when God saves, he always says, but yet there's more. Because in one sense, could God not leave us that way? Yeah, he could say, your sins are forgiven. But he doesn't. He says, and for everyone who trusts in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can follow after him. See, that's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Because it's, it's, the, it's the reminder that God isn't done it's not that we trust in Jesus and then God says, all right, I'm finished with you guys. We're done our business. No, God is going to fill us with his very presence. God would dwell with his people again. Acts chapter 2, this is what we read. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested uh, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of exactly what God had promised, that everyone who trusted in him would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The very thing that we have been longing for from the beginning was to dwell with God forever. That's what God created us for in the first place. In the Garden of Eden, God would be and live and dwell with his people. Sin got in the way, but Jesus has dealt with our sin so that we might dwell with God again. God's Spirit lives with his people. He does not forsake us. And for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, the only question is, it's not, do you have the Holy Spirit? It's, do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you confessed and repented, turned away from those things, and clung on to Jesus? Because that is the only way that we will be saved, and it is the only way that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The blessing of God's Holy Spirit is for everyone who believes. And so, what exactly is this blessing of the Holy Spirit? We've talked about one already. It is, it is the very presence of God who, who dwells with us. But the Holy Spirit, he also empowers us to serve and enables us to follow after him. Paul will write in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be clear here. Paul is not saying that people can't physically form those words in their mouths. No, obviously, yes, they can. That's not his point. What his point is, is they won't actually mean it. Outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, none of us can trust in Jesus, but the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point us back to Jesus. See, when you look at what the Holy Spirit does, not only in our salvation, but uh, in our own lives, we realize the whole work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us is always pointing to and glorifying Jesus, to magnify his name and lift him up. It's to help us focus more on who Jesus is and what he has done, to follow him, to imitate him, and to worship him. Right, so we can say everything we do in the Christian life is relying on the work of the Holy Spirit. The way we share our salvation is through the work of the Holy Spirit. The way we put these things into practice is through the work of the Holy Spirit. The way that the Word ever shapes our lives is because the Holy Spirit is at work transforming our hearts and lives. Everything is based on what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us to help us follow Jesus. Right Now, that doesn't mean that we have no part to play in all of this. No, in fact, the Bible calls us to keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5, or not to grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4. 
We're called to actually follow after him, to actually go where he is leading. But the point is, it's not our effort alone. It's not something we have to do in our own strength. In, very, in, in some ways, it's very much like trying to dig a hole. Try to dig a hole and just use your hands versus digging a hole using an excavator. All right? In one sense, you might say, you know what? If you're sitting in an excavator, you're not actually digging. And in one sense, yeah, you're, you're right. You're, you're sitting there and you're moving controls and this giant machine is doing all of the digging for you. I apologize, Jody. I know you actually do this, so you probably know more. I'm not trying to disparage what you do for a living. Um, <laughs> but you're not actually going out there with your hands and digging, right? What you're doing is you're allowing a far greater power to be at work. Now, I know that analogy breaks down because we don't exactly control the Holy Spirit to do that he does exactly what we want him to. No, actually, we're, we're following him. But what it means is that every one of our little actions we do, the Holy Spirit can use and magnify in far greater ways than we are ever able to accomplish on our own. The Holy Spirit is given to us to enable us to actually follow what God has called us to do in imitating Jesus Christ. He helps us, he enables us to follow Jesus, but secondly, he equips us to serve him. Returning again to our passage in Joel, verse 28 says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Right, Joel points out actually this coming of the Holy Spirit is going to come with some supernatural gifts. And you might be sitting there thinking, my goodness, you've preached on the Holy Spirit up until now and haven't talked about the gifts. Don't worry, we're getting to them. But, but I think sometimes we have a tendency to either over-focus or under-appreciate what God has given. We, we spend so much time thinking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and focusing on all these supernatural things that can happen that we actually forget the one who gave them to us. Or we ignore them and we say, well, no, 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 we, we, we shouldn't do anything with them and actually so disparage what God has blessed us with. Actually, what this means is when God gives lavishly his Holy Spirit, he equips us as believers to follow after him. Now, does that mean everyone needs to have the gift of prophecy or, or to dream dreams? No, that, that's not what Joel is saying. That's not what the Bible even teaches. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, again, Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is going to choose which gifts he will give to which believer. It's not always up to us. It is up to the Holy Spirit who will, who will give uh, believers gifts as he wills. But here's what it does mean. It does mean you have a gift. You have a spiritual gift that God himself has chosen for you to use and exercise for the benefit of the church, right? That's the common good that Paul is talking about here is that God has actually gifted you in particular ways to build up the church, whether that's working to encourage others, to help us worship, to serve, uh, to, to reach out with the good news of the gospel, God has specifically given you gifts as he has filled you with his Holy Spirit to serve and benefit one another. 
The calling for us is to use those gifts. Pentecost Sunday is the reminder God did give His Holy Spirit. He has given every believer a gift, and you're called to use it because that's what God has done in your life. The Holy Spirit is given so that we are empowered to actually follow Jesus, and we are equipped with gifts to build up the church. And here I have to almost say, there is still so much more that we could talk about. We are scratching the surface on all that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. For example, he he gives us wisdom. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He gives us peace in times of trouble. He assures us of our salvation. He sanctifies us. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. He prays on our behalf when we don't know how to pray. He guards the good deposit in our lives. He gives us opportunities to share our faith. He gives us words when we don't know what to say. He gives us strength when we are weak. He convicts us of our sins. He transforms our hearts. He reminds us of God's word. He leads us. He gives us spiritual gifts to build others. He helps grow in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He brings us into fellowship with both the Father and the Son, and He bears witness on our behalf that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. Everything that we are doing is so much dependent on the Holy Spirit to help point us to follow after Jesus, to enable us to be more like Him, and to equip us to serve Him more and more. So the reason we want to pause on Pentecost Sunday and remember the gift and the giving of the Holy Spirit is because everything we are doing is relying on Him. God is faithful to the promise that he gives, and when he saves, he is not stingy. No, when God says, when God saves someone, he doesn't just deliver them from condemnation, though that is hardly a small fact. He brings us out of spiritual death to spiritual life and sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can follow Jesus and help others do the same. We are called, let us rejoice over the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, proclaiming and rejoicing in Jesus, thanking God for sending His Holy Spirit this day, so many years ago, to dwell with His people that we might rejoice together. God is faithful to His promise. He has given the Holy Spirit to everyone who would believe in Jesus Christ. So will you rely on him as you follow after Jesus? And will you use the gifts God has given to you to build up his church? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Lord, we are so grateful that you have sent the Holy Spirit to us. Father, we would not even trust in the sacrifice of Jesus had it not been for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, thank you for sending him to us. Thank you for empowering us, for equipping us so that we could serve you well. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ that has opened the way that we might be with you 
And thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do in our lives. Thank you for the conviction of our sins. Thank you for the assurance of our forgiveness. And thank you for the work that we might glorify Jesus together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. And we ask, would you grant us your Holy Spirit afresh? Fill us overflowingly that we might know you and serve you more. We ask these things in your name. Amen.